Good evening, and welcome to Voice of the Parrot. I am your host, Shasta Ray, and I'm doing something a little bit different tonight. Oh my gosh, I don't have any co-hosts with me in the studio, and it's still part of the meet and greet series. Holy cow, what's up with that? Okay, so I have probably tried recording this particular episode over a half a dozen times. And when I had Murray in the studio and I had Zoltan in the studio, I was so distracted. All I did was meander. It was terrible. It came out terrible. Horrible. I am so distracted by those birds. Holy cow, they are my addiction. They are my love. And when, when it comes to baby birds... Murray is four and a half months old as I record this. He's a little bit on the adolescent side. He's not quite the baby anymore, but he's still a baby bird. They don't really hit adult maturity until about a year. So I am just eating this up while I have it to eat up. You know, I spend a ton of time with him every day. And when I do have the time to spend with him, that's where my attention goes. And apparently I can't multitask. (laughs) It kills that ability for me. Oh my gosh. So I thought, let's just try this. He gets a little bit of cage time every day, midday. And I thought, you know, I will try recording this episode when everyone is watching TV in the afternoon. So here we are. And before we get going on the meet and greet Murray episode... Let's talk about a little bit of my ongoing podcast startup drama. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the startup drama. It continues. Okay, so as I have mentioned in the past, I'm using a different host site, and I was having some problems with the sound. I wasn't happy with it all along. I've kind of had to relearn a few things. I had a different setup with my other podcast. And then when I put it on hiatus, I took all that apart and it just was not functional. And I threw it away because it was kind of a a little tabletop surround that I made out of some scrap foam and everything. And it was huge. It was overkill. And it was just, it took up a ton of space. It was problematic. So I got rid of it, not really planning this podcast yet. So I've tried to kind of rig some temporary setups to try to absorb the sound, and nothing has really worked well. Nothing has been truly functional. So a couple of weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago, I had two wisdom teeth extracted. That was horrible. One of them they had to cut out. I am so glad that they they knocked me out for that. Oh my gosh. But at any rate, I needed to just kind of have some downtime. So the following weekend while I was recovering... I made myself a new little small tabletop recording booth to stick my microphone in. We'll see how that works with the sound. I may have to move stuff around. We will keep developing the sound quality as we go, but the room that I record in just, it was still bouncing off the walls way too much. And with this different podcast company that I'm using, they don't have the extra layer of editing. So here we are. And part two to that, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining about them, but I mentioned a couple episodes ago that the Podbean app, when you try to log into it or download it on your phone and set it up, it asks you for credit card information and then your email information. 
It was very intimidating to people that I'd sent the links to. And I got some kind of like side eye from some friends and stuff. Oh my gosh, how embarrassing. I am not cutting down my, my podcast host plan. I understand why they do things the way they do, but it doesn't present well. It really doesn't. So anyway, the one thing that the host plan does is you can set it up with your social media and it will post to your social media. Unfortunately, it was posting links back to their app where it asks for the credit card and all of that. So I got a free PodPage site, which PodPage is awesome. It is a company out there that allows podcasters to create a very simple website for your podcast. So all of your episodes are displayed very easily. If somebody doesn't want to download an app, and so I was just going with their little free site for a while, but they, they eliminated it. With the free site was posting to Facebook and it was posting to my Twitter automatically without the drama of asking for credit cards and all that junk, right? Oh my gosh, so that went away. I did upgrade my plan with PodPage and I'm very happy with them. It makes it very easy and I got a designated domain. So that is a very long-winded way of telling you all the drama, some of the reasons I've been kind of dragging my feet on some of this, and maybe if you've been looking out on Twitter, I haven't been posting stuff. I just haven't wanted to post links that are going to seem like I'm trying to squeeze money out of people when I'm not. I didn't like that presentation. So anyway, when I upgraded the host plan to the new pod page way of life, they restructured their business and the lowest end of their plans does not have the automatic social posting anymore. So I'm restructuring that, but I do have a new designated domain for the podcast and everything will link back around to itself in some way. But the one nice thing about this is it displays all of my social media links right there and I secured voiceoftheparrot.show. If you just easily, more easily remember .com, go to voiceoftheparrot.com and there's a listen to the show. It will take you right to the podcast site and it, everything is going to loop back on itself. So um, you can't really get lost. It's kind of its own little universe going on. I would love it if people would go subscribe to the YouTube channel. That would help me out a ton. And I am starting to get seen in some of the podcast apps now. Oh my gosh, I am still not, as I'm recording this, in Apple Podcasts, but maybe by the time it publishes I will be. Fingers crossed. And uh, it's getting closer. It's getting closer. It's a process. And there's no rush on some of this when it is a brand new podcast because if Apple Podcasts sees that I'm getting some listens and there's people out there enjoying the show consistently and I'm consistently putting out some episodes, they will be more likely to list me in their new and noteworthy category, which is awesome. So if you are listening, say, on Spotify, maybe on the Podbean app, possibly, or anywhere that may display a way for you to give a five-star or a thumbs-up or something positive, please do so. If it allows you to leave a comment, please do so. That helps me tremendously. That tiny little effort will help me get seen by algorithms. And what they do is they go, oh, well, this indicates that people are enjoying this and finding this valuable. We will put this link in front of other people when they're out there looking for new stuff to listen to. 
It just gives me honorable mention. And then we can grow our listener base. That would be awesome. Oh my gosh, the more the merrier, right? I want to just talk to everyone I can out there, help everyone love their birds more, and uh, just make this a better place to be, right, for birds. Okay, so what do we have to talk about with Murray? Murray! Murr! The Merman! Oh my gosh, I love him. I love him. I am so in love with this little baby bird. He's amazing. I've had him three months now. He was right at six weeks old. He was fully weaned when I got him. Happy little guy. Oh my gosh. Okay, now go back to the beginning. I mentioned in the pre-episode that this is going to be a safe place to talk about hard topics, right? I see a lot of hate out there about this. I'm going to put this out there to you gently. Sometimes breeders do clip wings of birds before they go home to their new homes. It happens. So what they typically do is they do not trim wings until they know that the baby bird can fly and they are flying relatively well. And then they trim their wings before they go to their new home because it ultimately helps with the bonding process. That's why it happens. It helps create success stories. So be aware. He came to me with clipped wings and cockatiels, especially when they're young, when they're babies, they're very clumsy. They don't know how to operate their wings. They can't operate their feet. They have terrible balance. Oh my gosh, they're a disaster. They are so cute. Holy cow. I'll kind of jump around a little bit, but they can't really fly anywhere. So they just hang out with you all the time. Murray has wanted to do nothing but attach himself to me. He has adhered to me when he's out of his cage he clings to me. We have had three months of getting to know each other very well. We're very, very, very well bonded, and it's been a wonderful experience. He's starting to get a little bit more independent now, and we're doing flap training and a little bit of endurance training around the house with flying, and he's grown his feathers out a little bit on his wings just over the past three months that I've had him. I think things just kind of continue to grow and develop a little bit when they're really young like this. And so he's getting a little bit more flight. He's still clipped, so he still flies like a clipped bird. But I want him to get that exercise, so we we have flap training. He follows me around the house. He's getting to be where he can go around corners and control himself a little bit more, uh, control where he lands and how he lands. He's getting a little bit more balance, and he's doing great. So what happened? Oh my gosh, I wasn't even going to get a cockatiel. I was going to get a female Jende Conyer as a companion bird, right? And that was the plan. And I let Moose Moose's breeder know that when spring rolled around, I wanted on the list for a female Jende. Okay, cool. Well, as luck would have it, the giant dog's knee blew out and he needed surgery. So there went the plans for the Gen Day. Uh, all of my finances had to go to the giant dog. And I was happy to do that. He means the world to me. He's, he's my anxiety boy. He helps me out tremendously. And got to take care of him, right? Got to have him walking normal. Got to be able to take him for his walks. So that put an end to the Gen Day <laughs> idea there. And the, the whole thing was, is I was going to actually drive out of state and I was going to make it kind of a road trip and a 
a thing to go get the bird and all that. So there was going to be more expenses involved than just the cost of the bird. And I wasn't going to have it shipped. So anyhow, my business partner, who is a very close friend, also knew that I was very bummed about this. So for Christmas, she gave me credit with a breeder here in my state. He's only about a two-hour drive from me. And then we made a day of it. After he had babies and he had a DNA-tested male, we had a day planned to go pick up my baby bird. And she drove my truck, so I got to be the passenger and not have to worry about driving. That way, when I drove home with new little baby bird, I got to put all my attention on the baby bird and not worry about trying to drive and have a distraction. And, you know, they they make you turn into a little kid. They really do. So we made a day of it. I was in communication with the breeder and let him know I wanted a male because I wanted to start teaching it how to talk and see what I could do with a cockatiel this way. And uh, he was awesome to work with. Oddly enough, he kept getting all of these female babies. They kept testing out female. And he had a little baby that had pearl markings. Oh my gosh, prettiest little pearl bird. And I was like, oh, I so much love a pearl but they tend to be females, right? Oh, it tested out to be a male, and that's the one I wanted. So that's the one I got, my little pearl male. Now, when he hits maturity and he molts, when he hits his adult mature molt, he may lose all of that pearl marking. A lot of times the males don't retain it. He could. The breeder said he has seen a couple males that come out like this retain some of their pearl markings at least a little bit after maturity. He may not. He may just kind of be a light gray, typical markings. But for now, oh my gosh, I am enjoying my little unusual male bird. He's got a lot of very light yellow on him, very light gray, and he's just the cutest little guy. Holy cow. So the day came and we planned this. And actually, I was mistaken. I thought he was eight weeks old when I planned to pick him up. He was actually only six weeks old. I was kind of like, oh gosh, I hope I wasn't too obnoxious on the breeder on pushing for a day to pick him up, but I thought he was a little bit older. I got the dates wrong. But he was fully weaned. He was eaten on his own. He didn't need to be hand-fed anymore, and he was getting lots of attention, and they give their birds a lot of attention. So he was very, 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 very addicted to human attention when I picked him up that day. And I do have a video I have not made public, but I got a video of my first meeting with him, per a request of a very good friend of mine. And Murray was still doing the little dinosaur screech that they do when they want fed and when they want attention. And he stopped doing that after that day. He didn't do it after we moved him, after I took him home. But I got on video Murray still when he was doing his little baby cockatiel screech. So that was really awesome. I'm glad I did that. Thank you to my friend Aida. And my business partner and I, like, I have a truck with an extended cab, and the seats flip up in the back. So it's got a lot of space back there. I put some blankets back there. Between the two of us, we've got three dogs. I have Giant Dog, Micro Dog, and then her dog, Blue. And all three of them get along really well, so we threw them in the back. And then, of course, why not? I threw Zoltan and Cricket in the little carrier, and we took those two along for the heck of it because... Yeah, it's kind of good to get them out of the house and give them something to think about. So we took those two along 
And once we got to the breeders, they let us kind of hang out for about a half an hour and socialize with them. We got Cricket and Zoltan out. They got to flap around the breeder's house a little bit and hang out with an Indian ringneck. That was pretty cute. And everyone was amazed at how tame Zoltan and Cricket were because <laughs> I spend so much time with those crazy little birds. Anyhow, it was a great day. And they sold me a little carry cage for Murray to bring him home that day because I didn't have anything that was cockatiel-sized, right? So this little cage that they sold me had the little typical access doors for the uh, food dishes and water dishes, right? And since we were just bringing him from point A to point B, they didn't put any perches or anything like that in there. We threw a little stick of um, spray millet in. And since my business partner was driving... I just situated Marie's cage next to the budgie's little carrier, which is pretty small. And I reached my hand in through the little access door, put my hand there, and he just jumped up on my hand and he sat on my hand all the way home. And that was his little security and he felt better. And we started bonding right from the very beginning. Oh my gosh, you cannot imagine if you've never experienced this, what a hand-fed little cockatiel is like. They are so different than budgies. I am so glad I decided to do this. I would never do anything different. I love my budgies. But they're not the best companion bird. They're tiny and they're entertaining and they're little clowns, but they're not good for a companion bird. And cockatiels, oh my gosh, all they want is your attention. They like to sit on your shoulder. They love to hang out with you and just be close to you. And um, that's exactly what what Murray has been like. And like I said, he, he came to me with clipped wings and that has probably helped cinch the bonding process. He just adheres himself to me. I call him my little feathered corsage. He's either attached to my wrist or to my shirt and I just kind of wear him around. He does ride around on my shoulder quite a bit, but it's only been in the past month or so that he will tolerate being apart from me at all. I am not allowed out of his sight or anything. And I built a, a pretty good sized play stand for him over by my work desk. So every day during the day, he's been getting time on his play stand from the start. But from the start, he would not sit there by himself. I had to be standing right next to him. And even then he would climb onto me. <laughs> but he's been getting, you know, a little bit more comfortable and everything a little bit more independent and he gets greens, he gets veggies, he gets toys. I have a little clip food and water dish I put on there. He gets around, he knows how to navigate on it and walk around on the different perches and ways I have it configured. But at any rate, the first couple of months with this bird, oh my gosh, it goes back to why I am doing this episode by myself. He adheres himself to me I get nothing done. Even when I try to get something done, this little guy demands my full attention. And even if he didn't, he would have my full attention. He is just so cute and so sweet. And from the time I get him out of his cage in the morning until I put him to bed at night, he is just the silliest little sweet, adorable guy ever. Holy cow. I don't know what he's going to be like after maturity. I don't think he's going to change a whole lot. I don't think they have too much of a radical change, but right now he's very cuddly. He's very codependent, I guess. I don't know. And he's wonderful. He's determined 
to mimic everything I teach him. And he surprised me today with that. So let's get into some of what he has been learning since I brought him home. The first day that I had him, I started spending time with him. And I've gone online a lot. I want to put this out there. I have read this over and over and over. If you get a cockatiel, you should spend one hour a day with your cockatiel. Oh my gosh, I cannot fathom spending one hour a day with my cockatiel. I spend at least eight hours with him, one-on-one. And sometimes I am working and he's just sitting on my shoulder taking a nap or he's sitting right next to me. I'll have a little perch or something. But they demand being next to you. They want to be with you. They love your attention. And that's how to get them very tame and very bonded with you. You want them to bond with you. So he does spend a little bit of time around the budgies. I've always had him in the same room as them from the start, at least for a little while. And he hates them. He he doesn't like them. And I've started having Murray in the morning. Well, I've always had Murray in the mornings. We get the budgies breakfast ready. We get their chop ready. And then he gets a little bit of it. But lately, I've had him eat with them. And that's been helping a little bit. I think all of the novelty has worn off. They're getting used to him. He's getting used to them. And I don't have as much of the squabbling. Usually him and Moose kind of stand off on each other. And they have like this beak duel kind of thing. Sword fight. They don't do anything to each other. It's like they're just trying to size each other up. Cricket is very, very interested in Murray. But Cricket is turning very kind of alpha of the five budgies. He's very bold. He's very assertive, if you will. And he's very fascinated with the crest on Murray's head. He tries to reach up and bite it sometimes. (laughs) Zoltan gets along with him probably the best. Zoltan has the sweet little timid personality of all the budgies. And he's not one to push himself. And he respects boundaries a little bit better, I think. So... Murray will sit and chill with Zoltan a little bit now, and um, they are getting all all used to each other. But at any rate, I've had to get him kind of where he'll tolerate them. He hates them, generally speaking, or he just doesn't care for them. Oddly enough, though, he would sit and what seemed to be watching them from the beginning and stare and stare and stare when we were in that room. And when they zone out like that, they're actually studying the sound. So he mimics some of the budgie sounds, and he picked out the prettiest, prettiest parts of their calls and their songs. He sings the little trills that they make, the little warbles that they make, and he repeats all that. It's really cute, and he mixes that in with stuff that I teach him. So him clinging to me the way he does for the amount of hours that I allow him to cling to me like he does, oh my gosh, I repeat the same things over and over and over to him. And like I said, he's not even not even five months old. He already says upwards towards about a dozen different phrases and two different songs. So I changed up the Baby Shark song to be Baby Bird instead of Baby Shark, and he sings it. And we sing it together. But I couldn't figure out why he didn't really mimic me 100%. It was just kind of weird. He sang it different. When I sing it and he sings it with me, I realized he sings the harmony (laughs) of it. And he's done that with a couple other things. Like 
He says things different. He puts emphasis in a different way. He mixes that up. And I kind of wonder if he's not dyslexic or something. It's really interesting to see how he processes sounds and then reproduces them. He sings the Andy Griffith theme song. He whistles that, but he mixes it up. And so he ends up with his own rendition that involves all of the same notes, but sometimes he gets them mixed up. So if I'm whistling it and he's whistling it along, it actually works. He's got a really interesting way of perceiving sounds and reproducing them back. So, A, he does harmony and he does some sort of a rendition that works with the original. The only thing that that doesn't work with is when he tries to do that with speech. Sometimes the emphasis comes out strange and you don't know what in the heck he's trying to say until you figure it out. Cockatiels are not good at reproducing speech, but they will. And he's doing it very, very quickly. One of the latest things I taught him was what I tried to teach Zoltan. So if you go back to the Zoltan episode, I named him after a character in a Stephen King book. It was either a crow or a raven named Zoltan. And it would say, beans, beans, the magical fruit. I never could get Zoltan to say that, but I'll tell you what, Murray says it, and it is the cutest thing ever. Today, he started using speech in context, and he doesn't, I don't think he recognizes his name as Murray. I do call him Murray, but I think he recognizes Baby Bird as being his name, which I'm okay with. And, well, I taught him the word drink, so whenever I'm refilling his water dish, or I have the faucet running, I always go, drink, 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 drink. So he'll say, drink, drink. Today, he was on my shoulder. We were walking through the kitchen. And when I walked past the kitchen sink, he said, baby bird, drink. And I was like, no way. Oh my gosh, no way. And he was thirsty. I took him over to the sink. I ran a little stream of water. And by gosh, he was he was thirsty. He wanted a drink. So he is starting to put words with meaning a little bit, and I did not expect that. (laughs) He's still technically a baby. Oh my gosh. Also, when I first got him on the first day, I started paying very close attention to his body language, and he would have a little thing that he would do and a little wiggle, and he would kind of give a signal when he needed to poop, and I would hold him over either a towel or a piece of paper, piece of paper towel, and if I'm at my desk at work, then it's over the trash can. And he is what I would call about 90 to 95% potty trained. He gives me an indication when he needs to poop. He knows that I don't want him to poop on me. So if he's on my shoulder, he starts trying to find a way off of me. If I ignore him, then after a while, there's only so far they can hold it, right? I mean, they're a bird. But He always tries to get off of me first, so that's my first indication. And I'm trying to teach him a word for that, too. So we'll see if I can get him to give me a vocal cue as time progresses. But he is learning to um, give me signals and let me know what he wants. And he's always been good about communicating that way. And now he's starting to do it with a vocal cue, too. So that is so cool. Oh, my gosh. And now that I can kind of set him down on a play stand a little bit. I've been working with him a little bit more about 
trying to get him to fly or try flying. Since his feathers are still technically clipped, he can't really get very far or get any uh, lift going on. But I do want to keep him exercised, so I'll put him on the floor, and he'll follow me around the house, and he flaps, and sometimes he gets flap, and he gets in front of me and leads the way. So he's starting to get used to his little routine through the house, his little workout that I give him, and he's getting really good about giving it a good go. He gets going in the air, he gets up in a good arc, and then I can get my hand under him, and he lands on my hand. So we're working on quick little landings and coming when called, and getting a little bit more confident with that. And um, every day he's a little stronger. Every day he can go a little bit longer, and he enjoys it more, and he tries it without as much prompting now, too. So he's always learning something, and he's always teaching me. The last thing I wanted to mention is Murray got his name. I went through a whole bunch of different names that I had considered for him, I wasn't really sure what to name him. I wanted to give him a really good name because, you know, he could potentially live. Uh, they're saying now if you take really good care of your cockatiel, they can potentially live 30 years. And it's not unusual to see 30-year-old cockatiels in rescues. I've seen it. I've seen them online. I have seen it posted. And when I got Aggie, they had someone that had surrendered some cockatiels that were not tame and there was a couple of them in there that were close to 30 years old. So yeah, they can get some age to them. So I wanted to give him a name that I really liked, that really resonated with me in some way. And believe it or not, here I am, 55 years old. I had never watched the Mary Tyler Moore show until the past year. And something sparked interest in that. I ended up getting the entire series somewhere in the uh, holiday shopping time frame. Um, off of Amazon. They had a flash sale. I'd had it in my wish list and it came on for like 25 bucks for the entire series. So I bought it and I really, really like the character Murray. And part of the reason I thought it would be a good name for him is because Murray writes for the news show, right? So he's really good with words and he's a happy guy and everyone likes him and he gets along with, with everyone. And um, he's just just a sweetheart. So all of those were contributing factors. Plus, he's Mary's sidekick. He's there through the whole series at her side. He's a very good friend through the whole thing. And uh, I thought it would just be a really great name for him. And it has been. Oh my gosh, he just fits the name. The name works for this little bird. I mentioned when I got him, money was tight. And I, I didn't want to get another birdcage. But a number of years ago, I made a dire mistake. We'll talk about this on another episode. There is value in discussing it. But I had made the dire mistake of thinking that a ferret would be a good pet. <laughs> and I got a cage for it and everything, and it wasn't. So the ferret was short-lived, but he did go to a friend that kept ferrets. And he had a lot of friends and did very well. He didn't live very long, though. He had some health problems, as it turned out. But at any rate, I still had the cage. I had got the cage off of a Craigslist transaction, and it is a single-story Critter Nation cage. They are pretty much made for ferrets, chinchillas, rats, sugar gliders, that sort of thing. 
But you know what? It makes a fantastic large birdcage. So I cleaned it up really good. I only really had to modify one thing about it. And it has a lower tray in the bottom that goes on top of the grating, traditionally, for the types of animals they're made for. So I made a little way for that tray to sit under the grating so that everything falls through onto the tray, and then I can change it out that way. So I made that little modification for him, and I put a whole bunch of perches in there and some toys, and it's a wonderful cage. It is huge for such a tiny little cockatiel. He looks so tiny in it. But it worked great, and I didn't have to buy anything. So, if anybody is out there and you're looking for a large cage option for a smaller-sized bird, this would work great for any kind of conure, any kind of cockatiel, a couple of budgies. Just be aware that the door is way different, and the entire door is the side, the whole front is two doors. So they swing all the way open. You don't have like a smaller door that's like an access door or anything. So it is a little bit different in that sense. If you've got a bird that uh, is wild and it is just going to come out flying at you, if you open the door like that, might not be a great option. But if you're going for a hand-tamed bird or a hand-raised bird, that would be an excellent option. I am enjoying it immensely. It works. And they can't open them. They cannot, I don't care what kind of species you have, it is not going to learn how to open that door from the inside. So anyway, just some options. And there is a lot of the Critter Nation cages out there on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace, that sort of thing. The double stack is probably not a good option for a bird. The single story is. In fact, I would go so far as to say you could buy a brand new one off of Amazon or wherever they sell them. And it's probably going to be cheaper than a birdcage on many levels. So if you're going to go for a, a bird that's already hand tamed or a little bit calmer nature and that kind of style of cage works for you, go for it. It might save you some money. I highly recommend it. If it is a fit, it may not be a good fit for everybody. And it's not going to work for every bird out there either. So assess the situation and see if it works for you. I like to present options that people might not think about, and there's no need to break the bank. Even the smallest, cheapest travel containers are very, very expensive. So when you get into really large, high-quality cages, sometimes finding an option that's a little bit less expensive is worth its weight in gold. So there you go. That's your tip for the day for saving some money out there. Birdie on a budget, right? Okay, I think I have yammered into your eardrums enough. I know I have changed my position in my chair a couple times. I hope that when I have pulled back from the microphone, it hasn't created too much of a sound difference. I guess we'll see how it is when I edit and keep sticking with me as I perfect everything that go with podcasting all over again. And we'll catch you next time when we start our real content for this podcast. Oh my gosh, it is going to be so much fun now that we're past the meet and greet series. Have a great one, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.